all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. What is Chalkboard Chat? It's an MPB education podcast. It's a variety show providing information and resources for teachers, students, parents, guardians, and everyday people on various topics. It's learning something new with every publication. Chalkboard Chat. Find the podcast or listen from chalkboardchat.mpbonline.org. Hey there, good morning. This is Dr. Susan Buttress, and I am here today with you to talk about how sometimes we just have to make a change and revert from our plans and learn how to deal with it because I am doing that today. This morning, I don't know if you were listening last week when we were talking about our previous show and our upcoming show, and today we are, we were supposed to talk about social norms and normative behavior and, and honestly, um, planned on going into that in in quite detail but I have to tell you a little bit about my change in plans Um, today I came into the radio station and sat down and guess what happened to me my computer locked me out I don't know why but suddenly after all weekend using it it decided not to recognize who I was So we're not going to talk about that today, that show. We're going to talk about anxiety to start with (laughs) because I had to work on myself to teach myself how to deal with this kind of terrifying situation for just a minute. Right, Jay? (laughs) Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Yeah. Yeah. It's been um, an interesting um, 30 minutes because... Something that I work on teaching people all the time, how to deal with uh, anxiety-provoking situation and how to self-calm. <laughs> I've had to work on that myself. Self-calm. Self-calm. Yeah. So we can talk, listeners, about anything you would like to talk about. And so I will say this is an open mic, but I do want to talk a little bit about um, the anxiety piece, because I think that's so important. We as human beings are going to end up in a situation that's anxiety provoking, unless you stay inside and never allow yourself to experience life, which is obviously not a good thing to do. But there are times when things don't go your way. Right, Jay? Absolutely. <laughs> and there are times that you have to learn how to deal with things that don't go your way and it's very easy to teach it 
but it is a lot harder in general to make yourself use those skills. And so um, I want to talk about that um, because the truth is, is initially sometimes when you get in an anxiety-provoking situation, sometimes what you do is just be determined that whatever is not working for you is going to work. So you just stay in the same mode, doing the same thing over and over again. When the same thing that you're doing over and over again is not working. So so then to try to make yourself move toward thinking out of, of another solution. And sometimes that works. Sometimes another solution doesn't work right away, but sometimes it can. So teaching yourself how to take those deep breaths, recentering, and then doing positive self-talk. And we've talked a little bit about that in the past, um, how to do that. And in fact, I was recently in clinic with a young man who was having some difficulty with managing his anxiety because what he kept saying is whenever I approach a situation, I get completely overwhelmed, and then I can't do it. I just can't do it. And I said, well, those are three, four words that you should never say to yourself. And so that's one thing that I had to do this morning is say, yeah, I can do this. I can do this without notes. I can do this with without research. We're just going to talk about what we can do to help ourselves step through those kinds of situations. And so the very first thing, the very first thing that you have to do when you get in a situation is not deny that you're in that situation, okay? Not deny that you're afraid or scared or not deny that you're fearful. Um, Not deny that you're in an anxiety-provoking situation, but to sort of absorb it and then to say, I can do this. I can step through this. I can make myself deal with whatever's going on. And then to move forward with a plan, to, to make yourself decide what is the very next step. What might that be? It might be the very next step might be that you're going to put all this away and work hard on it later when you've regrouped. And that'd be okay. Or perhaps the next step is that if if you really can't just fold fold the bag up and walk away, then the next step that you can do is to break things down into small segments. Okay, I have this issue going on right now. And so how can I how can I beat it? Okay, number one step is to do X. And then number two step is to do Y. With my young man that I was dealing with in the clinic, who was such a delight and so bright, 
um, it boiled down to some very simple things that he'd kind of got in trouble with. Um, one of them was cleaning his room. Okay. Well, so that sounds okay. Just go clean your room. Then you get your privileges back, right? But to this individual, it was an insurmountable project because it was pretty huge. And so with that insurmountable project that he had, um, we talked about breaking it down into simple things. Okay, the very first thing I have to do is pick up all the trash. I can step through the shoes and the clothes and all of that other stuff, but the very first thing is I'm going to pick up the dead pizza boxes or whatever it is in the room. And then step two is to take that out to the garbage. Step three now is to go back in and pick up all the whatever it is. And so to learn, your teach yourself, to learn to break things down into small segments. And then, then it won't feel so huge and insurmountable. Now, that, that sounds like a simple thing, talking about cleaning your room. But, but it can go to things at work. Um, or for college students, projects. It can it can relate to almost anything in life is to instead of making yourself think that you have to beat beat the whole big thing at once, that you make yourself take it in small segments. Okay. Well, we have Sue calling in from Beaumont, so we're gonna jump on over to the phones. Thanks for calling, Sue. Well, just before you came on uh, there was an announcement, uh, you know, on the news that there are now eight billion people on Earth. That's anxiety-producing for me. <laughs> that there are eight, eight, eight billion people on our little bitty planet. Yeah. And uh, when I see a, a pregnant woman or see a baby, I think, what kind of life are they going to have? You know, How, what kind, what kind of life can they have with, with so many people crowded on the planet and pollution and everything that goes along with it? Yeah, so I was I was listening to some of that too, and and earlier in the weekend or over the weekend rather. Can I even add to that? Yeah, like, sure. I, I saw this in a news story, except the headline was Earth's population now tops eight billion. Um, semicolon about to hit unreversible trend of um, reduction. Like mm-hmm. basically, the headline saying that Earth is about to hit its its population peak and will start right. reversing. And once it does, mathematically, it cannot stop reversing. And I don't know if you think about that headline for a second, but it basically says uh, humanity is about to hit its peak and we're about to uh, irreversibly uh, erase ourselves from the planet eventually. You won't be around for the end, but uh, it's coming. And that's, how, that's, that's like what I saw from the headline. And I'm like, oh, great. What, what awesome news. Yeah. Okay. And, and I know we are media. Yeah. But <laughs> sometimes those, not sometimes, those headlines grab you, right? It absolutely. It made um, me think about it. Right. Mm. And, and you know, to, to, to Sue's point and to yours, that, you know, we, we do have a crowded planet, but, but there are some things that can be done instead of saying that we are on the road to, to destruction. 
I think the very first thing we have to do is, okay, so now what? What can we do? What can we do collectively? How about mandatory birth control? (laughs) Well, or at least to make it easily accessible. Um, uh, Sue, uh, you know, we don't want to become China and start limiting how many people, how many babies you can have. But if people want birth control, then let's make it easily accessible. You know, we continue to muck up the laws and and allow some insurance providers to not cover certain things that people need, want, for many different reasons, and we probably need to, to do a good job about that. You know, the other thing that was in the headlines um, was about the global warming issue and that we've not done a very good job, and we know... We know that the United States is one of those that continues to do a very bad job of taking good care of our environment. And there are some things that, that we can we can do. They're hard. But there are some things that we know we can do. We need to cut um, uh, the global warming rate by 7.6 or 8 percent or something like that to have a salvageable world in the future. And and so instead of, you know, headlines that say we're doomed, we need to move toward everybody collectively being a part of the solution. And until we do that, I think it's going to be hard. But so you're right. Um, if you just read headlines and, and don't listen to some of the um, – better solution news then then we would all never sleep at night because we'd be so anxious no human beings human beings cannot control themselves cannot uh, try to do better so the world the world is coming slowly down the slide we're going we're towards the end mm. that's that's my prediction oh sue I hope you're wrong. I'd love to hear from other listeners about your thoughts about perhaps what we can do to help allay that kind of anxiety, because if that's the truth, that's pretty terrifying. So today we are talking about anxiety-provoking situations or anything you want to talk about. Um, The way this started is I had to revert my plans, and so I want to teach you what you can do when you approach an uh, anxiety-provoking situation and perhaps um, learn how to dig yourself out of something that can help. Or, Or if you want to talk about what our first caller brought in, and that is our world population is... 8 billion, approaching 8 billion. We are in the process of some pretty significant environmental issues that we have to approach if our world's going to be okay. Um, and and um, we continue to be such a divided country. So how do we deal with all of that? How do we make sure that as Sue predicts, um, that we're without that we're going to implode as a a world. That's terrifying, isn't it? Something that we certainly um, need to figure out what we need to do. If not for for those of us who are in the baby boomer population, for for the ones behind us, what can we do? 
collectively. You know, I I do think that there's a lot of writing about how human nature in general is is a selfish group and self-serving. But there are so many examples out there of incredibly good people who do incredibly good things. And unfortunately, that's such a huge part that is missed because on our media, the things that seem to grab people are the tragic stories, the bad stories. Um, and we we tend not to hear about the, the good stuff. So why is that? Why do we want to hear the bad, the negative, the killings, the shootings, the the worst of the worst? Why Why do we do that? Now, I'll admit, I love to read a good mystery. Um, I'm a, I love to, to, to read about detective work and problem solving. And, but typically there's an end to it. There's a positive end. I'm not a big fan of bad ever after stories. And, and I think that sometimes when we get so enthralled with all the negative, we fit, forget that there can be good stuff. Anyway, it looks like we have another caller, Jay. We do. We have Ben in Hattiesburg. Ben in Hattiesburg. Hi, Ben. Talk to hey, us. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. Um, I'm married to someone with pretty heavy anxiety, and we, we've dealt with it for a long time. We've been married quite a while. I'm, I'm curious about – I've always been curious about how I deal with it as somebody who doesn't have anxiety and is pretty roughneck, you know, mm-hmm. not – pretty straightforward kind of guy and and i'll take my answer off the air but i'm wondering at what point do i stop being insensitive during an an anxiety episode and and when do i need to let her kind of deal with that on her own or you know i guess i mean sometimes these things can go on for a long period of time Mm -hmm. and i want to be sensitive to the situation but it seems to drag on and and i'm kind of one of the you know the move on let's move the next thing kind of person and it's it's been a battle Mm-hmm. So I, I've always tried to – I'm just trying to find that line of sensitivity versus that's enough. Yeah. So if you could – I'll take my answer off, line, um, off the phone. Uh, okay, Ben. It sounds like you really don't want to answer any other questions, so I'll leave you alone. Oh, no, 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 Do you no, mind? Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, sure. Is this so? This is something that she has always dealt with, or have you seen that it's ratcheted up more in the last few years? Uh, no, this has always been something. Uh, we're very aware of it, uh, and we've we've dealt with it in we you know we've done some counseling and things together and it's just a it's in our it's in our family i mean it's something we just deal with Uh and and so you say we have been to counseling has she been to counseling alone to help her with the anxiety absolutely absolutely yeah we uh you know medications things that help and things of that nature we've done all, all the the checklist, so to speak. I guess this question is more kind of for me on how to deal with it. So. How to deal but, with it. But, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let let me just talk about a couple of things. First of all, you're absolutely right. Anxiety runs in families. Upwards of, gosh, 30% of the population deals with anxiety at one time or another. So it's very common. 
it's um, more common in women than men. Um, and perhaps, especially along the lines of social phobias and, and the like, when you're looking at anxiety disorders. And anxieties are, uh, in, anxiety disorder is a, a broad umbrella um, of disorders that include social phobia, um, fears and phobias that we've talked about recently, um, and, you know, panic attacks um, and the like. Now, um, if you if you are looking, also obsessive-compulsive disorder falls under that broad umbrella. From an anxiety standpoint, it depends on the level of anxiety as to what needs to be done. It sounds like your wife may be experiencing some episodes of panic attacks when um, when the anxiety becomes so overwhelming that um, she goes into the hyperventilation and and the extreme upset that can just really bring you away, take you away from from even being able to to look into reality. Um, right. So has she had panic attacks? I would say. Yes, I would say, hey, I'm ha- I mean, I've heard the words, hey, I'm having heavy anxiety right now. I'm about to have a panic attack. <laughs> we definitely mm-hmm. have had some of those mm-hmm. come out, yeah. Okay. Not so much recently as much, mm-hmm. and I probably should have called you five, ten years ago, but <laughs> uh, I thought I'd, uh, yeah, so no. I've just been thinking about it much, a little bit more lately. So, okay, there are a couple of things that will not help, and that is to say things like, just stop this. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm tired of you doing this. That's only going to exacerbate it. And so I'm sure you're not doing that, but I would encourage you, if you if you find yourself really on the edge where you really want to push back and you're sick and tired of it, walk, walk out, walk away and let her, let her deal with it on her own. If she's been to counseling and had the right kind of counseling, then, then she should be better by now. She should not continue to have the inability to figure out what to do. That doesn't mean the anxiety goes away, but it means that she should have some skill sets intact that let her know what she needs to do when she starts feeling this anxiety. Now, the new the new modalities of therapy um, – are such that they don't tell you to deny that the anxiety is there. And that's probably the the biggest change in therapies over the last 20 years. Is used to, you were supposed to kind of push it back, push it away, um, not admit it's there. Um, what you're supposed to do now is say, yes, I'm anxious, and this is how I'm going to work on controlling it. And so to, to change your mindset, to, to allow yourself to admit, yes, I'm anxious, my heart rate's up, but I know if I do these things, I can make it better. So instead of thinking about whatever is making you anxious, 
to concentrate on your breathing and to really listen to your breathing in and out and really concentrating on how you, you, yourself, can take control of your body, of your heart rate. And so to start making yourself thinking, okay, I am increasing my depth of breath. I'm lowering my heart rate by doing that. I'm lowering my blood pressure by doing that. And I'm calming myself down. The other thing you can do is, again, um, not to deny that you're anxious, but to say that, okay, I know if I'm feeling anxious, the very best thing I can do is walk outside and, and take a really quick walk or a really short jog or whatever. So to, to be armed with those things that help. Now, from a medication standpoint, I want to make a couple of points because I continue to hear people ask about these things that do not equip you with how to manage the anxiety. And those are the, the short-term anxiolytics like um, clonopin or Xanax or Valium, those short-term type medications really do not give you anything but short-term blunting of what's going on. And so those typically should be avoided if you can, and really working on, on the therapeutic mode. The medicines that have been found to be helpful, and we've talked about these before, are the selective serotonin uptake um, inhibitors, the SSRIs, reuptake inhibitors, the SSRIs. And and those can those can be very helpful in some individuals. So um, back to Ben's point, if if um, someone is continuing to have extreme difficulties with anxiety, they either um, do not have the right therapist they do not have the right medicine or a combination because all anxiety does not need medicine. Some can be managed without medication. Or they're not allowing themselves to use all the coping skills that they really have intact. And I know I'm being a little hard. Once again, I'm, I want to emphasize the fact that it doesn't mean anxiety goes away. It means that you learn how to manage it. And so very, very important to develop management skills. You know, in the old Bob Newhart show days when there were people who went to him forever and ever and it seemed like they never got better, they just kept coming back, <laughs> that's that's kind of the sign of something needs to change. Um, and in the child world, in the child world, we typically look at therapeutic sessions, uh, numbers of sessions, somewhere between 8 and 10. They shouldn't go on forever. You teach coping skills and then you go practice them. And in the adult world, um, you know, it shouldn't have to go on forever and ever. You should, you should get to a point where you are able to manage it.
Okay. I know I repeated myself, but <laughs> did that make sense? Yeah, I, it did. And I'm and I wanna give my wife high praise for her growth. I mean, I definitely in our fifteen years together, she has and and praise her therapist. I'm not saying this is anything like it used to be. I mean, the, the woman has really grown. I give her high praise. We're not talking about episodes a lot. And like I said, I probably should have called you 10 years ago. I'm still not equipped to deal with it very well. So I guess I'm back to me, you know, as the guy who probably doesn't handle it well, like you said earlier, probably says the wrong things. And I have found that leaving is the best option most times, mm-hmm. taking a break and leaving. But you know, back to how much time do I want to give the situation if I think I've said the right thing a few times and and it just doesn't seem to move forward. I mean, am I the bad guy for leaving? Hey, this situation's getting hot. Am I being insensitive to, to pull, you know, pull out? We have children. I don't want to leave my children in the middle of a situation, too. Not that that's, it's a situation, but, you know, if there's something kind of heated in the room or, or if it's, yeah, you know, I... I well, let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. If the kids are in the room and and you think that she is becoming anxious, then that would be a wonderful thing for you to do is to say, "Okay, kiddos, let's go do blah," and or let's come out here with me and let's give mom some time to work on her her calming skills. And you know, I think it's okay calmly to say, "Honey, don't forget." to use those calming skills that you know you can use. Um, just use use those right skills. You know, and to children we always say, use your good words, use your words. And so, you know, I think it's okay for an adult to get a reminder, don't forget to use those skills. And if she, you know, pops back because she's anxious and upset, um, try not to to get upset about that, but understand she's got that fight or flight, that that heat of the moment um, going on, and so to to give her time to calm down. That does not mean you're bad. That means that you're stepping away. And and Ben, to your credit. Um, You've continued to try to help her, and you've just given positive praise. So keep in mind that you have to take care of yourself, too. And part right. of self-care is knowing what you need to do to to not have a situation escalate or, or for it to hurt your health, because it can. And so you want to just take care of both of you in the best way that you can. And so, no, I wouldn't leave if you feel like there's you know, something going on that could escalate and you haven't been able to help her calm, um, I certainly wouldn't leave the kids in the in the midst of it, but to just try to come up with a good distractor. I think my defense mechanism picks up most times. That's what the problem is. Mm-hmm. I get as a pretty defensive person a um anyway, I just take very offense to it. And that's always kind of been the other uh caveat to the to the situation, I get feel attacked, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't always handle it the best way, you know, or listen well, or do whatever. So usually, it ends up just kind of, hey, I got, I got to go take a breather. But I don't know. I uh, just thought I'd check in and see if you had some magical potion. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like you're stepping through it. And, you know, being insightful about what's going on in your mind, too, is is really important. Like telling yourself, okay, I'm getting defensive because I should be able to help her and calm her. I bet that's part of what's going on with you is I'm, I'm I want to take care of her, but I can't. And so it's that's making, it. yeah, and it's kind of making me mad. Um, and maybe mad is, is not the correct emotion. Maybe it's frustrated. Um, but mad can, be in there too. Yeah. Mad, mad can be in there too. <laughs> yeah, mad in there. Yeah. And, you know, don't be too hard on yourself, but know that that is one of those natural emotions if we're one of those people who thinks we are a fixer and a caretaker and a protector. And now we're not doing that because she's not accepting me as that. And so don't try, try not to take it personally to remember that this is, if even if it does seem directed at you, it's not directed at you. It's part of her internal makeup. And so separate, try to separate yourself out and try to make yourself remember the true situation. Okay. okay. Well, thank you very much. Okay. Good luck, Ben. Thanks for calling. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. And today we're talking about anxiety. Um, and let me tell you why, in case you weren't here at the beginning of the show, that we shifted. We were going to do this show today on social norms, and we'll do it next week. And I'll tell you a little bit about it at the end of the show. Um, today. But um, we shifted because guess what happened? I came in and being uh, a woman who is all modernized with my computer, I came in without a printed script. I had done some research, as I do, about social normative behavior and social changes. And my computer decided to lock me out and um, not sure what's going on, but could not get in no matter what I did. And, um, you know, to, to Ben's point about anxiety and how when you're around anxiety, it's a little anxiety-provoking, I got very anxious. And um, to the credit of um, Jay White and Jason Klein, they said, okay, regroup. They were doing a little therapy with me. But the truth (laughs) is, you did. You're in trouble. (laughs) Um, You know, three minutes before, and it's like, hmm, not getting there. Uh, So what what happened is... um, I decided to center on the reality of what was going on um, as we were talking about what you're supposed to do when you get anxious and then break things down into tiny steps and come up with a plan. And so that's exactly what we did. We came up with a plan that I would just do an open mic and we'd talk about whatever our listeners want to talk about, but anxiety would be the start because it was one of those issues that, you know what, I had to step through the anxiety that I was having. And I think to the point of 
of this show today is that we all experience anxiety-provoking moments. If we don't, we really aren't living life in the United States right now. And I'd love to hear from you. If if you feel that you never have anxiety, that would be wonderful. Um, but, but I do think most of us at least have times when we have a bit of that fight or flight um, where our adre- we get an adrenaline rush and your blood pressure and your heart rate go up and you go, what the heck am I going to do? How am I going to manage through this? And then, you know, if we are resilient people, we learn that there are things that we can do to help ourselves. And that's something that we should be doing to empower our children, too or our children or our grandchildren or whatever young person you perhaps are around that you can mentor, Um, you know, to let people know that. And and this is something that I have to say, Jay, I know you'll agree with me. Our society just in the last few years seems to have morphed into something that – tends to think it's my way or the highway and everything is black and white and if I don't get my way everybody else is wrong and I'm being mistreated and and you know none of us always get our way right right and isn't that one of those lessons that we are supposed to be teaching our children the future of our world right I think so yeah supposed to be teaching this supposed I don't know to that we be are teaching. very well though but if if you try to think about it in a child's eyes right now, what they are seeing from we adults out in the world is that you've got to abide by my rules. You have to do what I say. You have to um, see everything in black and white and – the right side is is wrong and the left side is right or left is right and right is right, whatever. But it just seems like we are not teaching our young children growing up anything about acceptance of others, about um, working with others, about realizing that it takes a village, about understanding that everybody has a right to their own thoughts. I'm so worried about where we're going with this. Well, to your point, uh, the thing that frustrates me, I think, is that we're teaching young people that if you don't like the results of whatever it is you're trying for, instead of accepting what the general public has told you just just grind the system to an absolute halt and and just try to be as obstructive as possible to you know society as a general you know moving forward and that's you know that those those things are outrageous the first time it happens and then after that it becomes more acceptable and it becomes more acceptable because people get tired of seeing the same old stuff in the news cycle and so we turn a blind eye to it it's almost like we're looking for the next ridiculous thing. And so it's like, you know, gerrymandering districts and things like that. That's so that that's such a terrible thing. It's so obnoxious. It's it's so it, it's uh, such a wicked act 
but it happens so much. And yeah, that we just turn. It's just hey, it's Tuesday. We yeah, we turn. You know? we turn a blind eye, and both parties. And I'm not saying about it. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not both saying parties, both yeah. of them do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and in, in, mm-hmm. in whatever situations they have the advantage mm-hmm. to do it, they will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, somebody did it the first time. The other da- the other guy did it to defend essentially. But mm-hmm. now we've got this thing where. We can't let one get one up on the other, so it just keeps going back and forth, and you know that's it's, frustrating. It's very frustrating, and these are adults who are doing this, and who at the same time, you know, a, a child gets um, punished for a minor white lie that didn't hurt anybody. Or And I'm not saying we don't need to have rules and regulations, but what we have got to do is do a better job of modeling the kind of behavior that we expect, we expect from others. And so, you know, I, I think I do want to spend the last few minutes talking about social normative behavior because you brought something up just then. What a good Uh-oh. segue for me. <laughs> Because what happens, it's the same thing about um, grammar um, and words. It's the same thing about social models and, and social normative behavior. The, okay, so let me define that so that, that listeners, you can hear what we're going to be talking about next week. Because I want you to be prepared. I'm going to talk to you about some of this because I want you to weigh in on what you think about social normative behavior. And what it is, social norms are the unwritten rules of beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors that are considered acceptable Hmm. in a particular social group or culture. Okay, so you just said the, you know, it, it seems like the gerrymandering just became kind of acceptable. Okay, well, they did it, so we're going to do it. And, you know, and and that same thing happened. So our social n- norms are the normative behaviors, the accepted behaviors, okay behaviors. Are they? So I want to bring up a couple of points that might bring up a little bit of insensitivities, um, uh, or sensitivities, rather, uh, about what I'm talking about. So um, if the if it's social socially normal to be a man who is is rude, who and by my definitions rude, um, easily um, has no manners at the table. Chews with their mouth open, you know, (laughs) burps um, on command, uh, doesn't hold doors open for women. Um, If that if that is accepted behavior um, in the area in which they live, then that becomes a social norm in that area. And so someone, uh, a man who is, is polite and kind to others and has good table manners and opens doors, whether a woman um, has asked for that or not, whether they're opening it for a woman or another man or an older person, um, 
then that person falls out of the social normative behavior. So I guess my point is our social norms are always not the best behavior. It's what's accepted as normative behavior. And our social norms have changed significantly over the last many years. And and so is that a good thing or a bad thing? Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Some of our social normative behavior has evolved into something that perhaps is not always good. But, but there are some social norms that have evolved into better behavior. So I want to throw this out there just to ruminate on for a little bit. So, okay, you have, um, over the last many years, um, women particularly probably in the 50s, 60s, asked on polling whether or not they preferred to work inside or outside of the home, the majority of women said they preferred to work in the home and not work outside the home. Then there was a period when it was not the social norm to say you wanted to stay at home and care for kids because there was a women's movement um, out there that was really pressing to work outside the home. And if you were a woman who had self-worth, then you were going to work outside the home. So the social norm sort of rocked over toward that. Well, it's come back a little bit to the center. And there are some other um, social normative behavior that's gone back and forth. Um, But there's some that's continued to evolve. Here's another one, and and I'll stop there with examples. The other one is um, in the area of acceptance for gay and lesbian individuals. Back in the 50s and 60s, um, you just didn't talk about it. People who were gay um, mostly hid it. Um, they they mostly spent their lives in the midst of uh, just being continually stressed um, and having major um, stress, anxiety from not being able to be who they felt they were because the social norm said it was not okay, right? And so what that led to was many times depression, anxiety, as we've talked about, and, and you know, social isolation, and, and many times, many times suicide. Now, uh, you know, it's better now. It's better in some areas now for individuals who are gay, but, but not not in all areas. So social norms have changed. They've gotten better in some areas, but but not altogether um, for, for whatever reasons, not all there as far as full acceptance. And that's going to rock back and forth forever. 
But what I want to do next week, I hope I set the stage for us to talk a little bit more about social norms. We'll talk about some of the new words added to the dictionary for um, over the last, just in the last year. There have been about 370 words added to the dictionary, and some of them are a lot of fun. Some I didn't know about. We won't go over all of them, but we'll go over a few. And some of that has come through due to that, quote, social normative behavior. So I want to thank all our listeners for staying with us on this show and helping me step through my anxiety-provoking moment. If you want to listen to this podcast, please download your favorite podcast and go to Southern Remedy, um, Relatively Speaking. And you can listen to it again. Um, This show is um, sponsored in part by the University of Mississippi Medical Center and a production of MPB Think Radio. I want to thank Jay White and Jason Klein today for stepping through this with me. And um, to all of you uh, for, for being with me on Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.